You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. What you want? We've got a mouth and hard to listen, but it makes your rage glisten. Our voice is about the games, and you know we talk about the latest goings, more so than any other, and our mountain west matters. Well, will you? You listen to this podcast too. Just a sight where Jeremy analyze some matches and kiss between the bridges. We do some good interviews. And you know, from Fresno all the way to Boise, from Logan down to Aston, they're calling out our name. Where will you? You listen to this podcast too. Alright folks, we're making it. Welcome to the latest uh, Mountain West podcast where we're going to be talking the Nevada Wolfpack. Jeremy Moss here hanging out with Matt Kennerly and we're chugging along as we are now getting another week closer to week zero of college football. Feels good, doesn't it? Getting there, it's hot outside, but that means it's getting close, right? Yes, it is. Make sure you put put on that sunscreen, folks. That's my tip for you, especially for me. I burn quite easily and... Yeah, I don't want to get sunburned. That's not fun. I don't know where I'm going with this. But tonight, <laughs> we're sticking with the West Division, talking about another second straight podcast, new head coach, talking about Nevada with a How Mummy, or Matt Mummy, geez, uh, Jay Norvell, you got a Timmy Chang, all these new coaches in Reno. Before we get to that, we have sort of a, not sort of, we have something to say, right? Yes, we do. You ready for this, folks? Because I, I put the tweet out last week, and I like how... Um, I like the Twitter handle. Is it Fake uh, Mummy? Is that the name? I believe so. so is it fake Matt Mummy. Always a good follow. They are at Fake Coach Mummy on Twitter. So I put it out the tweet. Maybe I'll pin it or something. I don't know. But they just reply back. What a tease, guys. Pop, pack Attack. I'm like, okay. Is that the name of the offense? Now? Is it Pack Attack or was there something else? I, I remember. I could have sworn I saw a hashtag at some point, but I don't remember what it is off the top of my head. I remember we talked about this during when the coaching change in one of our earlier off season shows and maybe it's pack attack, but you came up with something good. We should have written it down. Was it something with about Airwolf or something? Was that it? Maybe that, well, I think that was what we came up with, but I don't know if that's the official hashtag that they're using. 
Well, Fake Met Mummy has Pack Attack. That's probably the official one, right? I mean, they have, you know, hashtag Nevada Grit, hashtag Battleborn, hashtag Go Pack. But nothing quite like hashtag Airwolf, which would have been perfect. Should we start Airwolf? Yeah, why not? Alright, we're gonna get, we're gonna go hashtag airwolf, but back to the announcement we have. If you're hearing this podcast, you will be able to receive it the same way you've always received it. Crossing my fingers because I'm talking to into the future here, <laughs> right, Matt? Yes. Future here for the show. Um, you should be able to get the podcast, same stuff, same things. However, our written content, we're moving on. We're going somewhere new for all of our written stuff. We A have. Lot of I'm not gonna. Anyway. Um. Yeah, pretty much everybody, for the most part. Connor, I'm shaking my fist to you, but it's okay. We still love you, Connor. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a true preview of hate if he doesn't want to join us. That's okay, though. We're cool with that. Well, cool with know, he's, got, he's got purple rose, so that's understandable. That's perfectly fine. He talks Rockies. And if you don't follow Connor on Twitter, what is this thing? Connor SV Twitter? Is that what it is? I believe it's Rockies VS Connor. I was way off on that. I apologize. <laughs> So what the news is, so our written stuff, yeah, it's Rockies vs. Connor. You're right. Rockies vs. Connor. That's what it is. There we go. And apparently currently is a hashtag vote Walters. Is that a player for the Rockies? I'm assuming all-star game thing. Yeah, but he's never going to catch Buster Posey. Okay. So it's a point. It's enough baseball talk for this show. But we are moving and combining forces. Actually, leading. I'll say leading the way. Is that too strong of a word or is that accurate, I think? Are we leading the way with this move? Well, uh, we are, we're, we're relocating. We are relocating, so our mwcconnection.com will still be around, but it will not be run by myself, Matt, Eli, and most of everybody else. They are going to come with us to, you know who Pete Futek is, right, guys? Raise your hand. <laughs> are you raising your hand, Matt? I don't know. Even <laughs> if you're in your car, you raise your hand. Do it anyway. <laughs> so we're going to move our stuff to collegefootballnews.com. We'll have a specific URL shortly. There's still a couple. By the time you hear that, hear this, that's probably settled, but we're not 100% sure on that. There's a, one or two tweaks, but we're going to be doing stuff with them at collegefootballnews.com. And the bigger picture, they're also joining a part of the, the, the USA Today Network. So if you read sites like The Big Lead, it looks like that, or if you read all these uh, sites yeah, right? like... Broncoswire.com, DraftWire.com, all those NFL sites that are part of the USA Today Media Group. We're going to be joining them and do the same thing we've always been doing. Cracking jokes, covering the conference, right? Yes. And even though it's college football news, there's basketball to be involved, so don't worry. We assured with Eli about four times, basketball will still be a thing. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the news. Um, Yeah, just... um, I guess follow me on Twitter, Jeremy Moss, M-A-U-S-S, for the exact details. Details will let people know down the road what's going to change, what's not going to change, but just a new home. We're going to get a new home. That's all we're doing. We're going for a change. We want something new, right? Yes. Okay, now that's out of the way. Just, again, follow us on Twitter. Yeah, go to collegefootballnews.com, Mountain West section, where our stuff will be at. We'll get you guys a specific URL later so you can bookmark it, and we'd appreciate if you'd visit 10 times a day and hit that refresh button. And tell four friends. But now to the Nevada Wolf Pack. Let's do it. Let's start at the top like we did with the other teams who had new coaches. They bring in Jay Norvell as their new head coach. 
And as we you mentioned last week, he was not a he's a position coach coming to be head coach. He wasn't a OC or DC or even the Brian Pullian route of the special teams coordinator to get the call up to be a head coach. He was the wide receivers uh, coach. That's kind of a big jump, right? Maybe a little less so than it would have been five years ago. You know, in the same way that we talked about Brent Brennan in our San Jose State podcast, I don't feel like making the jump from being a position coach to being a head coach is as drastic as it used to be. You know, we were talking about Brennan as kind of being San Jose State's PJ Fleck hire. And honestly, I can see Nevada's thinking kind of the same way in this particular situation. There's that. And also, while he was not not to say just a receivers coach at Arizona State, he was there with his, um, oh no, Mike Norville's brother is now the Memphis head coach doing good things there. But he's been an OC in the past. Here's a couple of things about him. His kind of a history. I know we discussed it before, but I don't think as much. He uh, played at Iowa. He played in the NFL for a year at the Bears. Coached in the NFL with the, the Indianapolis Colts for a couple of years, with the Raiders. But he's also been an offensive coordinator at Nebraska at UCLA and at Oklahoma. So and so and he's been at Texas as well as the receivers coach. So he's had stints as an OC and successful OC because Oklahoma, by the time you heard this, Bob Stoops has retired. It's probably about a week or so ago when this drops from that news coming out. But he's coached with Bob Stoops. He's sent a lot of guys to the NFL out of the receiver group. And so while it is a receivers coach, a big upgrade, but he has that experience with calling plays in big conferences and NFL experience too, which is huge. I agree. Okay, I didn't know if you wanted to add anything else there, but so he's a head coach. So well, I think well, I was going to. I thought you'd be go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, and, and more than that, you already mentioned kind of the the other cohort of coaches that he's brought in for the staff, which you know is at least for 2017 is probably going to, is going to be what makes this team most interesting. And you start with the coordinators, Matt Mummy, who, of course, is the son of Hal Mummy, who more or less invented the air raid, if I'm not mistaken. And, Jeff, and Jeff Castile, who's had a lot of success as a defensive coordinator at Power 5 stops like uh, West Virginia, if I'm not mistaken. Had a little bit of success at Arizona, followed Richard or Robert Rodriguez over there. Rich Rodriguez. I'm thinking of Desperado. Uh <laughs> So, and, you know, he brings a unique system, too. He's going to be running the 3-3-5 up in Reno. For me, the question is, this year at least, are they going to have the talent to make it all work? They have some talent, but I don't know if they have enough talent. Well, let's start talking and about that talent. Let's, let's start on offense, because that's what everybody wants to hear about. And also, uh, Timmy Chang from former Hawaii record setter quarterback is also on their staff as well. So a lot of, a lot of passing offenses to be expected. And to start the quarterback, because here's what happened. Um, actually, let's get to this little bit of news really quick, and we'll get to those teams. This was about a week ago. Um, Norvell, basically, I'll just call, say what it is, basically cut 16 players from the program. You can't actually cut players, really. There's massaging the ways around it. but So what happened was, you have spring practice, new coach comes in, he wants to test the players. It's a clean slate. You can be a starter, you can be a starter. You're a third string, you can be a starter. You're off the team, you're not trying hard enough, or whatever it may be. So after a couple weeks of practice, 
here's basically what he said. This whole spring's an, an evaluation period for us, trying to get the kids to learn what, how we want to practice and what we want to practice. And like I said, it's a transition period. And he goes on to say, I was really disappointed with the first three weeks of practice. We really challenged our players. We had several players who weren't improving, who weren't playing any better. I challenged them. I told them, if you aren't getting any better every day, then there's something wrong. You're either not listening to the coaches, not focused, and goes on about that. And he evaluated a lot of kids and talked to them after spring practice. So 16 players are no longer in the program. What was it, Matt? Was it nine scholarship players? Is that correct? I believe that is correct, yes. And so part of the deal with it, when a new, there's a new rule in the NCAA. So if a new head coach comes in and you decide it's not for you and say you don't want to transfer, but you want to stay in school, you can keep your scholarship, which is great. And so those nine scholarship athletes, some are going to transfer, some aren't. They can be on scholarship still. Those, those do not go against the 85 you get every year. So despite the nine players no longer on the team, Nevada's not losing nine, nine scholarships for, say, next year or something. They're not going to be deducted anything. But it will put them behind a little bit because you can only sign 25 guys at a time. It just means they're probably going to sign the max for the next two years to make up for that. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these guys are walk-ons as well. But one of the most interesting players is a quarterback, Hunter Fralick, because Nevada doesn't have – we'll get this roll into our quarterback situation here. They have Ty Gangy, who I figured would be the starter. But they also brought in Al- an Alabama transfer, uh, David Cromwell, to uh, – joined the program he hasn't played since high school really a lot of injuries and just roll tide what he could do when uh, Jalen Hurts takes your spot as a true freshman essentially so you, you said before it wasn't a huge loss but I think there's a little bit of a depth issue which could play into how good or not good the Wolfpack are this year well and even beside Freilich they're also losing Dante Mays from the quarterback position which you know, all things considered, I don't think it's a terribly huge deal. Like, they're losing two quarterbacks, yes. But if you go and look at what their roster is listed at right now, they've got five guys on the depth chart. You know, Cornwell and Ganji are obviously going to be battling it out for the starting quarterback job. But behind them, you know, they have a freshman that they brought in, Cayman Curaton. Uh, you know, they have Joe Pyle, Christian Solano. So, if things get dire they're still going to have options back there but it's going to be really interesting to see which of these quarterbacks comes out on top I know that the early word is that Cornwell looked really good in the spring game and I think the common thinking at least for the moment is that he probably has the inside track you know he definitely has the pedigree you know he's a much bigger kind of pocket passer bigger arm than Ty Ganji. And, you know, you can't totally ignore how well Ganji played last year because he stepped in and really gave that offense a spark when Tyler Stewart really wasn't getting it done. But I've said this before, and I'll say it again now. I'm a little skeptical of basically every graduate or every transfer at quarterback into the conference these days because recent history really doesn't show those kinds of moves paying that much of a dividend. Yeah, look like you're not going to watch Zach Klein. How well did he turn out to be? He was not good. Yeah, and there's a few others. Like um, I remember he did a list on it, but that's one of the most notable ones. Former, was he the Cal quarterback? Is that correct? Yes. I believe at some point, and he didn't do much of anything. It's, there's, there's, for every Russell Wilson there is, or um, who was it from Eastern Washington to Oregon, um, it's not very often these things happen where they turn out very well. 
typically you transfer and you're battling for something and it's not going to go well. Not to say this won't, but if he's part of it too, like I said, clean slate, new practice, new, um, new facility, not facility, new, uh, offense, new everything. And Ganji, he ran a little bit more than he threw. Like he, he's a kind of a, they're still fur, getting farther and farther, further and further away from the uh, pistol with Chris Alt, but Ganji rushed for a couple hundred yards last year, a couple, couple TDs. They're going to want a guy just sit back there and chuck the ball. And while Ganji did okay throwing the ball last year, he only had 172 attempts, six interceptions, eight TDs, only completed, what, 57% of his passes. Wasn't doing amazing things. And that's that's why there's no open competition with this guy from Alabama. But, again, Cornwell hasn't played since really since high school. Yeah, and, I mean, even beyond that, just at first glance, if you'll allow me to put a comparison of some kind, it kind of strikes me as being very similar as to when uh, Cameron Kaufman transferred to Wyoming a couple of years ago. And he played the one year, and you know, by some of the numbers, he was pretty good, I guess. Like, I think in 2015, he actually ended up leading the Mountain West in quarterback rating. And he had an 18 to 10 touchdown to interception ratio. His completion percentage was about 63%. But Wyoming wasn't a good team, and they only won two games that year. And while, you know, obviously, you know, he's going to have more than just one year as a quarterback at Reno, you know, Cornwell strikes me as a similar kind of guy where, you know, he may have the raw tools, but, you know, we'll start talking more about the, the rest of the position players in a minute, the skill positions, do they really have the talent to maximize that this year? That, to me, is the number one question. That is a big question. One quick thing on Ganji a little bit. While I said he ran a lot, he's also, before he came to Reno, he was at Ventura College where they threw average over 40 passes per game. So this isn't something out of the blue where you're trying to put it like a square peg round hole situation where it's trying to jam him in there to change completely. He's able to throw the ball, but Nevada didn't ask him to do that as much as they're going to this year, last year. I kind of felt Cornwall would have come in because he does have two years to play. He'd sit behind Ganji, maybe a fake sort of a faux competition to uh, with the new coach, but looks like it was the real deal. And then he would be the starter for a senior, senior year. So I'm wondering if next year, like with Cornwall being the guy, and Ganji moves on after graduating, that's where something could happen. But there's no QB name yet, and Ganji is a guy who – has thrown the ball quite a bit and this offense is a bit different it's completely separate from what we've seen before at Nevada again getting distancing themselves from Chris Alt. well this should happen it's hard to know what's going to be how this offense is going to be but one thing we do know they have one of the best running backs in conference James Butler so I don't see them doing going all Washington State or Mike Leach or Texas Tech where are going to throw 65 times and run it 20 times they're going to rely on Butler a lot this first year. His, if you watch Oregon's offense, while they're spread and fast attack, look at the guys like when they have the Michael James there, DeAnthony Thomas running the ball, they still ran quite a bit. Now I envision this offense to maybe be something more like that where they're spreading guys out. You're going to go down field, but you still have a consistent running game at Butler. Is What is he, the top three back in the conference? Best back in the conference next year? If I'm not mistaken, he was a first-team selection in the in Athlon's all-conference team for the preseason. Correct. You'd be correct. And, 
you know, by the sound of it, you seem to be a little more certain about his role than I am. Because if you go back and look at what teams have done that have been kind of air raid reliant in the past couple of years, and I'm thinking mostly about teams on the West Coast that I'm more familiar with, like Cal and Washington State, but, you know, by yards per carry, they were kind of below average, I guess, like no better than average in the two or three years where, you know, Sonny Dykes was running his offense at Cal and where Mike Leach was. Like, it wasn't that long ago where Washington State averaged less than two yards carry. And I'm not saying that that Butler's production is going to fall off that much, but, you know, is he going to be guaranteed the same kind of workload that he had last year? Like, he ran the ball 262 times last year, and he had 1,300 yards, and... I'm not totally sure that he's going to have the opportunity to do that again if they're going to be reliant on throwing the football as much as they are. Well, they did mention reading up on from the Reno Gazette Journal, they're going to be obviously passing more. They want to include Butler in that. So maybe the rushes won't be the same, but maybe the touches will be. Just a different way to get him the ball. And I, that's, why I'm, that's why I'm thinking, like, because here's the thing. like If you go back to San Diego State, after they got rid of Chuck Long, they brought in a Brady Hoke to be the coach. They changed their offense a lot, but it wasn't a drastic change where it's not like uh, Paul Johnson or something going from Navy to Georgia Tech, triple option day one. Mm-hmm. Not like that. This is ha- it's, To be smart, you mix in your elements, but change things gradually. And I don't see, while I see, a, obviously, they're going to go air attack, or the uh, whatever they want to call it, pack attack, air wolf, wolf raid. I don't know whatever the name's going to be. I like wolf raid a little bit. Maybe that could be air, the air name. But, air wolf, that's, what, that's right, yeah. So, so many names. Hashtag Airwolf. But what I'm thinking is it's going to be a, a mixture of we got a good running back, we're going to use him, but also go downfield because you can mix and match that stuff. And I think that will make them more successful than going four wide every time, single back, and not giving an H-back or tight end to help block when Butler does get the ball. I'm like, We know it's only one spring we've seen this, but you'd have to think if you're a smart coach – you wouldn't abandon what you have where your most talent is. You want to use that resource while bringing in your own system. Maybe you're two or three, you're full-fledged doing what you want to do. So then is the is the upside for someone like... Is, is the upside for someone like Butler, someone like DeAndre Washington at Texas Tech a couple years ago? Where, you know, I believe, I believe he ran for fourteen or 1,500 yards in 2015... But he also added about, you know, 400 yards as a receiver and caught 40 passes out of the backfield. Is that That's kind awesome. of what Nevada is hoping for in the long run? Um, I'd say at least with Butler. And that's what I mean. Like, is, is that is yeah. that what you want to see if you're a Wolfpack fan? I would think so. You want to you want to get your best player the ball as much as you can, and he's your best player on offense. So why not give him as many touches as possible? And I guess that makes sense. I just have a question about whether they're going to be able to do that or not. Well, it's true because could be a new quarterback again his third in two years if it is a Cromwell. Because remember, Gainsey played part of last year, last year with Tyler Stewart. And there's and, always an issue with that. So, And, you know, and part of that concern, which probably leads into our next part of the discussion, is are they going to have the receivers to make this work this year? That's a big question because they had, they had apparently a lot of depth last year. 
like with uh, who was that? Rashawn Henderson. They're losing White. I know Henderson didn't do amazing things. He was their third receiver, leading receiver. We had him. You lose Jericho Richardson. Uh, James Butler was good. James Butler right now is your number two rec- receiver coming back. But they do have Wyatt Demps, who's probably one of the better guys in the conference. They only lose four, three receivers, really. So while they're losing their top-end guys, maybe it's Andrew Sellis, uh, Ahaki Muhammad, uh, Brandon Scott coming in as a tight end to do something. Or these freshmen, like if you look at the uh, recruiting ratings, look at Trevin, Trevian Armstrong, look at Tyson Williams, Austin Arnold. All those guys are rated higher than anybody in the roster. And they even in McLean Mannix, the higher rated than Wyatt Demps. So that could be guys where they have to thrust these young guys in who are recruited reasonably well for their star rating. Depends how much you uh, buy into all that and everything. But it's, yeah, they lose two, they lose what, 50 uh, receptions, 56 catches last year. Because look at, look, last year the passing game wasn't very good. Like even Weps, or Demps, excuse me, only had 53 catches to lead the team. That's, that's okay, but it's not amazing. They had basically no downfield threat. He had only averaged 8.3 yards per target. They had about a couple of guys decent at first down per catch. But it's – I I think there's room to grow from these younger guys coming in because there wasn't anybody amazing they're losing. You lose senior leadership and some depth, but these young guys are going to step in. If they're going to throw it as much as they, we think they are, they're going to need to have at least seven or eight guys play every game and make plays. I mean, I think it helps that in the same way that the quarterbacks were able to be productive in the spring game, there were a couple of receivers who really stood out as well, like Bryson O'Leary Orange, uh, who I think, if I'm not mistaken, he had like 10 catches and 180 yards. You know, I think it's pretty good, and he's the kind of guy where I'm trying to look up what his stature is. He's, you know, he's 6'4", 205, so if you can get him with Demps, who's also six foot four on the outside, then all you're looking for at that point is a couple of guys who can work the middle of the field, maybe smaller guys like Victor Gonzalez, or, or actually, I think Gonzalez is actually one of the people that is departing the team. But, it, you know, then at that point, basically, you're looking at guys like Aki Mohammed or, you know, guys like that who can work the middle of the field, be those slot receivers that make air raid offenses so dangerous. I just personally kind of have questions about whether they're going to be able to be consistent like that. Yeah, but that's an issue because they haven't done it before. But look at, um, if you want size, look at um, Cooks, man, 6'5", 215, freshman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Put him out there. Just say, chuck it up there and catch it, buddy. But I think that that's a big question, too, because who's going to be there to catch those balls? And there's always, we don't know how talented they are. And it's a new offense, and so until we know what they're doing, and how, once we see them play, I should say, I don't know. What do we got from the offensive line coming back? Is there anything, any concern there, you believe? They do have Austin Corbett, who's holding down the left tackle position, if I'm not mistaken. Other than that, uh, Sean Kreps, I believe, was named to the Remington list as one of the, you know, potentially one of the best centers in the country. But other than that, you're having to replace the entire right side of the offensive line, as well as center Nathan Goldtree. Yeah, uh, Colbert's named to the uh, Athlon first team. He was second team last year. And while well, they do have the left tackle, which is a big deal in the center, well, he technically is left guard last year, but I think he is moving to center if he's on that Remington watch list. Mm-hmm. 
the returning talent after that, they have like nothing who have any starts or play. You have two play, two not plays, but um, two games by a uh, Darren Echeriva. It it uh, this is going to be an issue too if you can't protect the quarterback in air raid. But then again, if they're or excuse me, um, air wolf attack. <laughs> if they're throwing the ball within like three seconds or one point four seconds your protection just needs to be good enough. That's true. And you're going to be shotgun probably 80% of the time. And if your protection's good enough, then you'll be fine. Like, they have some size on here. Like, look at Mar- Marshall Evans, 6'6", 305. You have all these guys 6'5 and above. Some could probably work to get over 300 pounds. Like, Gray Davis is a shade over 300. Uh, Chase Windham probably is not going to play very much. He's only 260 at 6'4", but... If they, he's got to be good enough with this offensive line to help. The running game could suffer, and this could be an issue there. But with with passing the ball, how quickly these offenses go, this be good enough is probably what they need these guys to be. That's true. I mean, I think it's going to be interesting too to see what kind of experience they choose to give. Like, I'm, and what I mean by that is, you know, they have three seniors potentially who could start along the offensive line who have, you know, been at least in Brian Polian's system. But they also have, you know, sophomores like Clifford Porter who could possibly switch from left to right tackle or, you know, a couple of redshirt freshmen like Carl Burton Hill or Nate Brown who could potentially see, you know, what they have to offer. But I think it helps to have at least a couple of guys who can hold it down. But I'm looking at Chris Murray's um, like projected offensive line. You know, he has Corbett at, at left tackle. He has Kreps at center. He has Ziad Damanhuri at left guard. But he also has um, yeah, Echeverria and Jake Nelson at right tackle. And if that holds up, then you're looking at you know, you know, two juniors and a senior replacing those three guys that are departed. But it'll be interesting to see whether those freshmen or those redshirt freshmen will get an opportunity to push those guys. Yeah, we'll see. If you, even if they haven't played much, if you've been in the program for a while, you'll you'll be it's it's very helpful instead of bringing in guys who have a year or less than a year or two experience. Mm-hmm. So that it's it's a question marks, but I think it's uh, maybe we're overblowing a little bit because they have a center and left tackle. Those are the two most important positions, and if those guys are going to anchor the line, filling in the rest. I think I'm reasonably optimistic they'll be okay. I guess I'm still a little skeptical, but we'll we'll find out. I I am too. I'm just saying with the upperclassmen that make eases eases out a little bit. Yeah. So let's go to the most uh, um, not depressing, but um, we can call bad. it depressing. They were bad yeah. last year. <laughs> Defensive line was terrible. They because we we called this ten miles away last year. The, losing so many guys in the front seven, they're going to be one of the worst rushing defenses, not just in the Mountain West but in the conference. And when you look at what they did last year, they were dead last, giving up a whopping 6.1 yards per carry. Yeah. Nearly 300 yards a game and thirty, basically almost three touchdowns a game on the ground, 32. Which, amazingly enough, was fewer than Wyoming gave up at 34 rushing touchdowns. It's hard to believe. Yeah, and even if you look at the more advanced numbers that Bill Connolly has to offer by, you know, S&P Plus, they were 124th. Uh, you know, by passing downs, 
S&P Plus, they were 127th. On first downs, they were the worst defense in the country. In the third quarter, they were the worst defense in the country. There's a pattern there, I've Yeah, and, you know, they're having to learn a new system. You know, last year, I believe they ran a 4-3. This year, they're running a 3-3-5. And while they may have a couple of guys who can stand out, like, you know, Gabe Sewell and Malik Reed especially up front, what do we think about the other guys who are returning? Like, are they going to be able to adapt to the system well enough? Or are they good fits for the system? I have no idea. That will be something to see. But going to a three-three-five means you have one less, one less uh, linebacker or defensive lineman to play up front. And how bad it was, that's fine to have somebody come off the bench. You get one of your weaker players out there. Or off the field, excuse me, not out there, but off the field. And, yeah, they look... They bring a lot of talent back, defensive backfield. They do lose uh, Elijah Mitchell there, who was just uh, was pretty good. Not great, but pretty good. I think going switch to defense, a couple things, because this will – we've seen San Diego State do this forever. Rocky Long was in New Mexico years before Gary Patterson and TCU. This defense will allow to be just a hybrid. You can disguise more coverages. You can do more things. Maybe they're banking on scheme to overplay talent. Where if you have, it's like again. Let me go back to Georgia Tech or Navy. Yeah, they have Division One athletes, but there's a reason teams run the triple option. There's a reason New Mexico runs what they run now. Mm-hmm. It's because typically they have inferior talent, and a specific scheme will outdo that. Even if you're a step slower than player A to player B against the team, or there's a reason Mike Leach at Texas Tech went to five wide every time. There's a reason Urban Meyer at Utah went to the cover zero or one of the first spread guys out there for what he did, something unique and different. Part of it is it's cool, it's unique, different. Another part of it is you're not as talented. Look at Air Force. You're not getting the same amount of talent at Air Force as you are getting to some of the Mountain West, definitely not the Pac-12 or Big Ten or Big 12. So they use these schemes to their advantage, and that's what this 3-3-5 defense sort of is. Not as a, It's not as extreme as an offense where you can run triple option, a wishbone or some spread five wide every play or the air raider what was that one a11 or something that kind of got banned a while back mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like that but you can't because defense is more it's more reactionary than it is controlling what's going on for, mo- for the most part and i think this defense will disguise maybe some of their shortcomings but also scheme to allow different blitzes to come through different coverages They'll basically do a 3-3-5. They could have a 4-3 sometimes. They may do a 4-2-5, something different like that, where it's always a different look to confuse the offenses, and that's what they have to do because while they're bringing back nearly every major contributor contributor from the defensive line position, bad position. They were terrible. I agree. Excellent. We agree a lot. That's okay. (laughs) I mean, to me... I think if this thing is going to work, somehow they're going to have to figure out how to get better against the pass because they may still be below average against, you know, the run. I'm kind of expecting that with this kind of transition to a different defense, uh, like a base defense. But, you know, guys, especially like the safeties, Osani Rufus and Damian Baber, they just weren't as productive in 2016 as they were in 2015. What are you basing off of that? Because I know yards per game is not the best thing, but they were actually 
pretty decent. Partly because teams ran like crazy against them. Do you want them to be more efficient, like for turnovers, pass breakups? Yeah, more or less. Like I'm looking at what they managed to do as far as pass breakups, you know, in 2015 versus 2016. And, you know, in 2015 as a team, they had 40 pass breakups and 13 interceptions. Last year, those numbers were just 26 and 5, both of which were dead last in the Mountain West. And I think if they're going to rebound and try to become a more opportunistic defense like a San Diego State, you know, it's going to start with those guys because we know that they can do it. We know that they are, can be ball hawks if given the opportunity to do so. But between the two of them last year, they only had five pass breakups and one interception. And while I think it's a positive that they forced five fumbles at the same time, I kind of want to see them get back to where they were in 2015 before I have a little more confidence in what this defense can do. Well, and Baber, he's a good talent. Like, he's one of the best corners in the conference or defensive back players in the whole conference. But you're right. You got to, to the part of the, I think part of the reason, too, numbers are different. Look at the amount of attempts compared to rushing that was allowed. When you're, it's kind of like when we mentioned San Jose State. Yeah, their pass defense is amazing. It looks amazing while they do have talent. They were not thrown upon that much. Like, when you look at the amount That's of attempts Nevada, Nevada was allowed, they were the fewest thrown against team in the conference. At 240 attempts. San Jose State, 266. Both of those teams are under 200 yards per game. Similar to Fresno, who rush defense wasn't great either. But when you look at a little bit closer, their percentage allowed was, it could be better, it was one of the worst in conferences, giving up nearly 60% of their passes. So there is reason to be better, or reason to, well, you'd want to be better, I should say, than giving up 60%. I just think the opportunities to get pass breakups, interceptions, Hard to come by when you're being thrown against only 20 times a game. Because that's all they were, 20 times per game. That's a fair point. But then again, it's they need help everywhere. Like rushing defense is their main concern. If you look at like the leading tacklers and everything, uh, Asani, um, part-time quarterback as well. I can't forget that. Ruffus, 81 tackles, second on the team. That's not really what you want. 63 tackles from Baber. You don't want that to be your leading tacklers on your team. You'd like a couple here and there to be maybe uh, top five, I guess. But a three-three-five mm-hmm. will change that up. It's just it, all it comes down to, really. If they're going to be any good, you got to stop the run because they have talent in the secondary. Yeah, that sounds about right. And I, and I mean, I and think I don't know that... what they, like what are they going to do? Though? How are they going to get better besides returning everybody? Is it the scheme? Is it guys just get better from? being first-time starters to now second-time starters? I mean, I think it's kind of a little bit of both. Like, when when exactly did Rocky Long become the head coach at San Diego State? Was it 2009? Uh, I think it's after that. Look it up really quick. Because I, 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 I think, think five years ago. I think it was 2009. So, like, if you're, look, if you're a Nevada fan and you're looking for something to hold on to, I'm I'm assuming they ran a three three five in two thousand and nine. Yeah, he was but, the DC you know, in 09, head coach eleven. Okay, so let's put it this way. So then in two thousand and eight, when he wasn't the coach, the Aztecs were dead last in the conference and they allowed about five yards carry. In his first year as a defensive coordinator, he cut that by about a by about a yard per carry. And by the time he got to be the head coach in twenty eleven 
all of a sudden it was right around four yards carry. So there was improvement over time. I'm just not totally sure that with the talent they have on hand, the improvement's going to be as drastic as it was back then. I think it helps maybe that there's not quite as many dynamic running backs in the league as there was last year. Yep. But, you know, you're still going to be contending with the likes of Rashad Penny and, you know, Malik Roberson who could spring for 100 yards and things like that. So juiced out in Hawaii. Yeah, so it, it may not be quite as difficult to find success as it, as it might have been if they'd made this move last year, but I'm still not certain that it's going to be easy either. Okay, here's the thing. Your, I like your comparison. It will take time. So you get Jeff Castile, defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Do you know where he was coaching last year? Arizona. He was not coaching last year. Oh, he wasn't. He was That's not. He was with Arizona. Yeah, exactly. At least according to his Nevada Wolfpack page here. Okay. Um, do you want to take a quick look at how good Arizona's defense was in 2015? It was not good, if memory serves. Correct. There's a reason they brought in Marcel Yates from Boise State to take over. We look at 2015 in total. I know it's just total defense. They were, I know the pack total is different, but 470 yards per game um, total defense. When you go a bit uh, looking more detailed and a few things like they give up how many points per oh sorry I'm wrong one here they give up nearly 2600 yards they had game Stanford 300 yards given up on the ground 200 yards against UCLA 200 versus Washington see a pattern there so USC over 200 yards Utah Arizona State New Mexico blistered them for 333 yards in that bowl game I'm not saying he's not going to be there but it's a big difference between Castillo and Rocky Long yeah because when Rocky Long was in New Mexico he still had pretty good defenses yeah, I, mean, I get your. Have... That's where that's where my thing is. Like, I get your comparison. It'll take time with the scheme and everything, but Castile and Rocky Long aren't even in the same atmosphere as for defensive-minded coaches, in my opinion. Well, I mean, I think for Castile in his particular situation, you kind of have to go back to his days at West Virginia because he did have some really good defenses for the Mountaineers back then. But then at that point, you're kind of talking like almost a decade ago, where he was having that kind of success. And I don't think that that precludes them from finding the pieces to make it work again. I'm just not sure that all those pieces are in place this year, which could make for a little bit of a rough transition, I think. True. And also one quick thing, too, when you talk about um, Arizona, Rich Rod's offense, it's uh, those years he had, uh, uh, who was their quarterback, uh, Nick Foles, yeah. going for crazy amount of yards, scoring quickly. It's either like a lot of these offenses, Rich Rod goes fast, wants to move the ball, a lot of the, some of it's hard on the defensive coordinator, defensive coaches, where, crap, offense goes three and out, defense is just on the field for a 12-play drive. They're back mm-hmm. on in 90 seconds. And so there's a little bit to that, but still, it's, um, I'm not saying it's a bad move, but it's just like the comparison long to him. It's scheme-wise great. It may work. It may not. Probably later than sooner, but... I guess kind of said before, Rocky Long compared to this guy. Obviously, everybody want Rocky Long every day because what he did in New Mexico and now Aztecs. It's just something where they brought him in. He knew the coach, and hopefully it works well. And the scheme will get there. But I think you're right where I think with the offense, whole new scheme, it's a year or two away, especially they weren't very good last year despite them bringing back a ton of talent. It's, I think defense is going to be a mess this year still. It might be a little better, but I'm not too confident it will be drastically better. That sounds about right. All right, let's take a quick timeout, and then we'll be back to go through the entire Nevada Wolfpack schedule. 
All right, folks, we're ready. Matt, you've already told me before, you've already had your entire schedule placed for every team for win-loss record. Is that correct? That is correct. Your spreadsheet matches win-loss record, so there's no possibility of overlapping on errors, correct, as well? That is correct. We can make changes in our mega preview, I will say that, because there's changes for tweaks. Because by then we'll know spring football will be nearly over, or fall football will be nearly over. Maybe, so you, can, to, maybe you can make changes. Oh, what if there's a major injury to somebody? Or okay, something if like there's that? a major injury, then I would consider making changes. Or the starting quarterback, his name, Ty Gansey over David Cornwall. Is that big? That's a big enough change for me to maybe make some changes if I'd like to. I don't think so, but we'll we'll find out why in a second. Oh, not allowed, denied. Oh my well, goodness. for me anyway, I'm very strict about my rules. <laughs> that's for everyone. Yes, remember the uh, the. Um, travel show where we're road trip show you were very strict on certain rules yes <laughs> all right so they start out the season um at northwestern so the fighting pat fitzgeralds out there in evanston illinois not evanston wyoming so don't get those two confused folks but look, this game uh, it's a big 10 network game blah 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 big 10 team great this schedules for a while i think nevada's getting 1.2 million for this game yes they are so payday, and these are the games I always say schedule these type of games. Northwestern is never great, at least recently. They won seven games last year. They did nearly beat Western Michigan, lost by one point. They did go to the bowl game and beat Pitt, so they got that going for them. It's honestly, I'm not gonna say I know a ton about Northwestern right now, but I don't see it out of the realm of possibility where they could put a scare into Northwestern in this game. I think Northwestern's probably going to be okay this year. I don't think they're going to be contending for the conference title or anything like that, but I think that they're definitely going to be in contention for a bowl. I think Do you that... Know... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, I think it all kind of depends on what kind of a step forward their sophomore quarterback, or rather their now junior quarterback, Clayton Thorson, takes. Because last year, you know, I believe it was his first year as the starter for the Wildcats. And... He, I mean, it was his second year, but he did take a step forward from his freshman year to his sophomore year, and I think that they're kind of expecting him to do that, to be kind of like a leader for a team that, if I'm not mistaken, they... I'm looking this up as I'm talking, so it sounds totally graceful, right? Yes. They were middle of the pack in you know points scored on offense last year, but I think they could improve if he can take a step forward. Yeah, if he's going to another year, another system. And he was one of the what top four Big Ten quarterbacks in passing last year. They also returned yeah. the best running back in the Big Ten. Or well, maybe not best, but Saquon Barkley was pretty good. But Justin Jackson led the conference in rushing. 15 TDs, uh, 1,500 yards. So maybe as incorrect in my statement earlier, I forgot they brought him back, Jackson. So I... There's a reason Northwestern is right now they're eight and a half win loss total projections for yeah. the over under in Vegas, and so that puts them right in the probably what third in the Big Ten of their division, whatever the I don't I don't know what division they're in, but whatever division they're hanging out there on the Big Ten, they're pegged there at like right there same line as Michigan and Minnesota, a seven and a half eight and a half range. I changed my mind with that with the with Jackson back there was like completely spaced on unfortunately, I don't think. Nevada has too much of a chance. I don't think Northwestern is going to blow them out because that's not really what Northwestern does. And they're probably be a bit better, but 
I would say, obviously, with their continuity coming back, with Pitt Fitzgerald been there forever, and when you look at the with the Northwestern's defense, that's where Nevada could make make some noise because they're one of the worst defenses in the Big Ten last year. And so maybe with this air attack being a new scheme, something a little bit different than they see in the Big Ten, that's where maybe Nevada could start scaring them. But I just think it'll be use Jackson all day long to until again going off last year, the rush defense was bad. Expect maybe marginal marginal improvement. At this point, we don't know what's going on with their defense because they haven't played a game yet. That's where, if they're going to do anything, that's what they have to do to uh, slow down that running attack. But I don't know if they can do it enough, or really at all. Yeah, so I, I have this one as a loss. Loss? Oh, man, my Google document is signing me out. What's the next game we got, Matt? The next game we have is at home versus the Toledo Rockets. So this is the opposite of pass-heavy pass heavy offense. This, they're going to get murdered. Really? You did you so? not? Did you not see Toledo against Fresno State last year? I have seen plenty of Toledo. I saw Toledo versus BYU, where it was like seventy five hundred points. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I mean, you know, they're not going to have Kareem Hunt back this year, but they do have you know Terry Swanson, who did average over five yards a carry by himself. And they are missing like three of their top five receivers from last year, but they do have one of the group of five's best quarterbacks coming back in Logan Woodside. And then, do you know off the top of your head, real quick, how many touchdown passes Logan Woodside had last year? With the, if you, unless you already know, tell me. But he had 40, 45 touchdowns last year. Forty-five touchdowns last year. Yeah, that was the most in FBS last year. More than Jake Browning, more than Patrick Mahomes, more than Louisiana Tech's offense with Ryan Higgins. I believe he led the country, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that did lead the country. He's really good. And I think that even despite the kind of question marks that they have coming back at their skill positions, having a good quarterback makes up for a lot of that. And so I personally have this one as a really bad loss for the Wolfpack. And it's, isn't it year two of Jason Campbell there? At Toledo? Yes. Is that, the, is that the coach right there? Jason Campbell, right? Jason Candle. Or did he, Candle, sorry. Candle, that's right. He was the OC before, but okay. But Sorry. Getting those mixed up. Come on. I don't know every coach. That's all good. So. Idaho State, victory. Right, wait, is it safe to say victory off the, right away? for? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That feel, that sorry, feel, Brandon. <laughs> yes. It should be a victory. Maybe it's not like 80-8 to eight like it was with UNLV a year or two ago, but it should be a victory. Okay. All right, so now we get to another game, tougher, tougher game, much tougher game, up in a Pullman, Washington State. Um, what's going to be the worst loss, Washington State or Toledo? <laughs> it's going to be Washington State. You think so? Well, I think so. Okay, why is that? Luke Falk's well, pretty good too, you know, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of, you know, he's got, and and even though he doesn't have a thousand yard rusher behind him, he did have like three or four guys who ran for about five or 600 yards last year, which is kind of remarkable when you consider how imbalanced the Cougars have been in the past. And, you know, they are not bringing back Gabe Marks. He moved on to the next level and, you know, River Craycraft also moved on. But they've got, what, one, two, three, four, five guys who caught at least 30 passes last year coming back. Oh, boy. This will test Baber in that secondary. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I think that the, you know, 
Nevada should be able to move the ball a little bit. I would kind of expect it to be what like a like a forty-two to twenty-eight kind of game. But you know, Washington State, if they can get off to a hot start, you know, which they haven't always done, if we're being honest. Yeah, Mr. Washington, they, Boise State, first half, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, this is a game that they should win pretty handily. All right, so now let's get to conference play. Okay. Is this the pillow fight? Of, is this the pillow fight game? Oh, that's not fair, man. Nevada, <laughs> Nevada, Fresno State. Uh, we could say one no, of them. Who, yeah. Which one's one of those? Your team or one of one of the back? one of the pillow fights in the conference? Oh, oh, one of okay. So is that Fresno? Um, jeez. Oh, what? So the overall in their win total at the moment for uh, like the Nevada is three and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, Fresno State um, four. So I guess technically Fresno State should be a bit better because of that. If you go off Vegas and then if you go off like the uh, advanced numbers, Nevada's only given a forty four percent chance to win this game. About a field goal matchup. I think this game. I apologize, pillow fight, whatever. But these two teams neither are going to be blowing the doors off anybody in this game. Well, let's not forget. Season. Let's not forget Nevada was lucky to win that game last year. You're not bitter, are you? Still, I. You know what? I am a little bitter, but <laughs> I mean, more to the point, I feel like you know, even though they're going to be running different offenses and different defenses, these two teams are kind of analogous to one another as far as where they stand. Like they're both probably going to have suspect defenses. You know, I give Nevada the edge in the running game, but I feel like Fresno State's going to be able to move the ball through the air a little bit better. So while I'm expecting it to be a close game, I have it as a, I have it as a win for the Bulldogs. So do I, just because it's at Fresno. That's the only reason I have a victory. I think you'll see a lot of running, running yards in this game from both sides because neither rush defense is great. Yeah, and I think this will be one of those games where it could be like fifty to forty-five, just because of both the, these are defenses that are very good. Yeah, I could get on. Or, board. Is that, or am I get, or am I saying that's too many? Is that too many points? You think a hundred points in this game? That that would not shock me. Let's put it that way. So this could be this could be this game could be the twenty-seven version of last year's UNLV Wyoming game. Is that what we're getting at here? Yeah. I would put that near the top, yeah. I want to see excitement. I think this, as much as we crap on Jeff Tedford, there's something there with Chase and Virgil and the receivers Fresno has. And this will be a good matchup too, like the receivers Fresno, Keyshawn Johnson going up against Baber and all those guys. That'll be something to watch as well to see. But I think there could be a lot of points in this game. But i got to go with um, Fresno pulling off the victory just because mostly it's a home game. And that's kind of a little bit of edge I'll give them. Then they play Hawaii. Oh, man, Hawaii at home. We haven't discussed Hawaii yet, so it's at Reno. Hasn't Reno only beat Hawaii once on the road in Hawaii? Isn't that like two years ago they snapped that streak, I believe? I wish I knew off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure you're right about that. I remember something like that, but at home it's a different story. Honestly, like we'll, we'll go over all these teams again, but Hawaii's only given a 2% chance to win this. Or, excuse me, let me rephrase that. I was going to say 2% above 50, but I, would you be surprised to say Nevada's favorite in this game? 
I would be a little bit. I feel like the at least the advanced numbers might be underrating Hawaii a little bit. Yeah, I, I sorry I read that wrong. I was thinking I was looking at something else, but yeah, fifty-two percent chance for Nevada to win at home. Basically, a toss-up, one point projected margin of victory. I don't say it being the case because I get Hawaii's traveling far and every road game is difficult for them because they fly commercial and it's a pain to go from Honolulu to whether Northern or Southern California then to their next location. I don't think this is going to be close. It's going to be Hawaii by a lot. Hawaii has some players back in defense. Again, well, all these players we mentioned a lot. Drew Brown, um, St. Juice running the ball. They have um, who's it, Dylan Colley, one of their better wide receivers, should be make, taking a step up this year. I... Just go off of talent last year, I'd say Hawaii should win by at least 10 points. Yeah, I mean, I think I would agree. I think most of it comes down to the fact that, you know, for the first time in a while, they weren't, I mean, their their numbers on the road were pretty similar to how they played at home. Like, the, obviously, there was a little bit of drop-off. It was like, uh, it was about 6.7 yards per play at home and 5.5 at uh you know, everywhere else. But that was a lot better than it had been in the last couple of years of the Norm Chow era. And so I think I don't really see a reason why it wouldn't be that way again, because, you know, they have some talent on offense. You know, they have a pretty good running back there in St. Juiced. And, you know. That rush defense is terrible, right? You could say it. Yeah, but I mean, it feels to me like this will be a close game just because... You know, we'll talk more about it when we get there, but Hawaii's defense probably isn't going to be great either, especially with all the pieces they have to replace in the secondary. But I have this one as a Hawaii win as well. I I think the offense will be more than they can handle. I think, they're like I said, double-digit victory for Hawaii. And again, remember, this is the middle of summer, so don't hold us to the score projection, but maybe do hold us to our actual um, win projection. Yeah, my guess is it's probably closer to like a field goal win, but I still expect Hawaii to win. I think, okay, I think it'll be like, maybe like that, but I think Hawaii will, like maybe a late touchdown to make it look bigger than what it is because they struggle on the road, and that's a fact. Mm-hmm. All right, at Colorado State, um, victory for the Rams, move on, next game, right, huh? Yeah. No? <laughs> this is going to be a bloodbath on the ground. Can we see the Matthews and Dylan? Dylan I was going to say, can we say the same thing about Air Force the next week? Sure, so that's lost, loss. Okay, we don't want to make all these shows 90 minutes long. This is one way to get through them quicker. Unless something changes drastically, I, my opinion won't change until the season starts on the rush defense because it's we know what we know from watching them. What about at Boise State? It does come after a bye week. They're victorious at, so there's that. Uh, this game sort of a rival, but... Again, there's a reason Nevada's projected a three three win total for over and unders from the Vegas folks. They're not going to beat Boise State. They're given a better chance to beat Northwestern and Washington State than they are to beat Boise. Huh? Does that shock well, you? Boise State's, no, Boise State's better than both of those teams. I think that's probably true. I'm surprised uh, Northwestern is where it's at because I figured. Uh, well, no, that's I guess that's about right. No, but th- there's I don't think it's like a twenty five projected margin of victory for Boise State, even though they like when we we mentioned them before they losing a lot of a lot of wide receivers, losing Jeremy McNichols, losing a lot on defense. 
I think they only return like six or seven starters, one of the fewest amount at the FBS level. But then again, it's late in the year. It's sort of a rival. Boise wants to beat them, as always, every single time. Because uh, as I tell Chris, those field goal posts were not regulation size. <laughs> <laughs> Back in, what was it, 2010? Yes. Sorry, 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 Boise fans. But that's the case. But there's, like, again, it's like it's a record here we're saying. But until we see games, it's I can't. Again, we're projecting way out, but Boise's going to win. They'll throw the ball well. Their running back will be fine, whoever the replacement in there over for McNichols. They could stick a bowling ball back there and get plenty of rushing yards against this defense. Yes. <laughs> so that's that's a loss, unfortunately. I, 25 points, I think that's way too many from Bill Connolly's advanced numbers, but three touchdowns minimum. I'll go that and give him an extra field goal for the bad sake. Yeah, that sounds about right. Oh man, he's just getting tougher than. So we're at the three, the three win mark for over under. I think this might be under for both of us because we're both sitting at uh, two victories at the moment. Well, I mean, if they're gonna get to the over, they're probably gonna do it in November in those last three games because you're talking about, you know, home against San Jose State, at San Diego State, home versus UNLV for the Fremont Cannon. I think. They're going to win two of those three games. You think so? I think they could beat San Jose State. Okay. Because, remember, they don't really have a running game. Well, not as much as we'd like them to have. But uh, we talked about them last time. Who did I pick? Because I had to go off of that record. Hold on a second. So before I start talking, whatever, San Jose State, what did I predict? Um, dang it, I picked the San Jose State victory <laughs> <laughs> last week. Uh, I guess we'll make it this way, but I, I could see them getting a victory because I don't remember what I said last time. Jeez, about a week ago from or more maybe by the time we actually recorded and did this. No, it was a couple days ago, but I don't remember what I said. Do you recall what we talked about for this matchup? There's so many games we're talking about in June. Well, if I remember correctly, one thing I mentioned was that I felt like San Jose State's secondary was potentially a pretty decent matchup for the kind of offense that Nevada wants to throw out there. That's right. I would say, for me, predicting San Jose State, because if you look at the numbers, it's a basically a slight edge for Nevada. I would say for San Jose State, more, I guess their defense, I guess, the pass defense, because like, I, think, I think that's the main point to take from this. Nevada at this point should be ha- should have their offense um, hands down, knows, knows what they're doing. How efficient is it? Uh, wait to see, obviously. It's sitting here in summer, but... I would definitely say that uh, that's good. You're right. I think that's uh, man. We agree too much, but the <laughs> secondary versus the offense is what's going to be the difference. But when, when, you, when you really look at it, why Nevada could win is James Butler. Assuming he gets the amount of carries he should deservedly get in this game, yeah, they'll pass a lot. But with that Spartan rush defense being that bad, and also if you think about it, the uh, protecting the quarterback was an issue for Spartans, as we mentioned ad nauseum last week. That's how Nevada can win, but. I don't know why I picked San Jose State to win the road. I just did, so I'll stick with it. But it's going to be something down to the wire. And it, a victory by either team is not going to surprise me one bit. I just think Nevada giving it to Butler is why they're going to win, and San Jose State can shut down the passing game. Yeah, I had this one as a San Jose State win as well. At San Diego State, oh, Jawan Watt Lawson going to run for like 400 yards. So you're saying Rashad Penny's not going to play that game? 
they're not going to he, he gets a night off. Yeah, he, he gets a night off. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel like we're picking on, I feel like we're picking on Nevada now. Well, show us, prove us wrong. That's true. Hey, we we mentioned, we, okay, this is probably, we have two more chances to say this. If you don't want to make fun of you, don't lose to South Alabama. And we may mention that one time in our San Diego State preview. I promise. Okay. After the preview for them, we will not say that name USA ever again for the Jaguars and San Diego State. You're welcome. So what about, what about the what about the finale against UNLV? Um, I I like it that it's the finale. That's always a plus. Instead of I did like on Halloween as well. That was pretty cool too. Right now, Nevada's given about. 56%. It doesn't um who owns the can? It's Nevada. it's a UNLV, correct? No, Nevada beat them pretty handily last year. Oh, no, that's right cuz then there's also the note inside the can. There are some sort of note I believe. I wish I knew what it was. So there's some note written inside. This is that's in because, Reno and I'm just going to say it's because UNLV was this close to like recruiting you and I to play wide receiver by that time last year. Yeah, they've switched their cornerbacks to come play wide receiver. Don't need move from quarterback to wide receiver. I think at some point in the year, <laughs> last year, it's week twelve. Who knows what's going to happen by then? A rival game. Here's what we'll say about this. Um, as of right now, this recording, quarterback situation up in the air at UNLV. It's likely going to be Armani Rogers. They have Devontae Boyd and other receivers. They could have one of the best receiving cores in the country. Or not country, but conference. Excuse me. Apologize for that. Probably pretty good overall, but within the league, not much. They're going to be top two or three for sure. Defense still an issue, I would say overall. Running back Lexington Thomas might be a guy to step up and get those carries. This honestly, I have no clue. This should be a game where both teams put up a lot of points. That I can I can get on board with. But I kind of trust so UNLV. I kind of trust UNLV's running game a little more than I would trust Nevada's passing game. Why is that? What has Lexington Thomas done to show you he's that good of a runner? Well, it's not just Lexington Thomas. It's Lexington Thomas and Charles William and Xavier Campbell. I guess at this point, yes, it'll be one of those three guys. <laughs> It's going to be all three of those guys, and you know it. But we'll talk more about that when we get to the to the Rebels preview. But I feel like if they can keep this offense off the field, and I feel like they have a pretty good chance to do so, that's going to make their life a lot easier. And so I have this as a UNLV win. So I reclaim the cannon? Yes. I disagree. Okay. Going with Nevada Wolfpack because I want to be different. That's part of the reason. Not going to lie, folks. <laughs> Better late than never. Oh, my goodness. Uh, that puts me saying they're at three wins, so I'd push if I do uh, do any sort of wagering on that matchup for their over-under. I UNLV's defense has always been a question mark forever. Not just this year with Tony Sanchez, but going back to – probably been John Robinson decades ago when he was their head coach. He was like, oh, he's going to be the savior for the Rebels. Vegas, transfer you from USC. Pac-12 lights out there in Vegas, bringing all those transfers coming in. They're obviously getting better, but I, I'm going to go Nevada because I, I, here's my thing. Who has the best player on the field most more often than not? 
they're going to win. I think that's still James Butler. And assuming Nevada uses him properly, he's going to do pretty good against UNLV. So you, you don't think it's Devontae I'm... Boyd? Let me rephrase my quick answer to that question. <laughs> okay. Because, no, good point there. Sorry, good point. Butler has more control over what he can do compared to, to Boyd. Boyd, yes, okay. he's the best offensive player. I just, but yeah, thank you for catching that. But I will accept that. Butler, if you get my point, Butler's going to have, he can control more than Boyd can. If it's a handoff, Butler's odds on favorite, not the fumble. Any running back, you're not going to drop the ball. Receiver, obviously got to get open, got to have the right quarterback, get you the ball, you have to have protection to throw the ball, no double coverage or anything. That's where, while well, he's good, he can make plays and get open first with his route running. If you're a running back, you have more control over the situation than a wide receiver. Yeah. So that's why I'm going with uh, Nevada for the victory to uh, Cannon's Blue. Blue Cannon. All right, then. Anything else we need to add before we wrap this bad boy up? So what was your record again? Oh, that's a good thing, too. I have them at 3-9. and nine. So, Are you at 3-9? and nine? No, I do not have them at 3-9. and nine. You have them at 2 wins, right? Nope. One? One and eleven. Wait, who was your victory? Idaho State? Yes, it was. Why did I hold on? Did I really pick Nevada Hawaii as a uh, Nevada to beat Hawaii? I think you did well wait, did you? Veto. Lost, sorry. Whatever I said before it's a loss now. So you have them in two <laughs> I don't know two and ten. I'm changing that. Um I don't know why I thought that, because I'm sort of reasonably high in Hawaii to possibly finish second in that division, so Two and ten, uh, beating Idaho State and beating UNLV to retain the cannon. However, I would not be surprised if they could sneak one past San Jose State, and I guess from what I said before, maybe Hawaii. Well, I guess we'll find out. We will find out. So thank you for listening, and remember, at this point, um, well, we haven't moved our website yet, but we will be moving shortly after this post at the end of the month, but. Moving on from SB Nation, going to uh, College Football News, USA Today, all that fun stuff. And podcasts will be the same. There shouldn't be any feed interruption at this point. So everybody have a good night. And, hey, our tagline comes with us. We are definitely biased against your team.